Welcome to the Artificial Intelligence Podcast Series with California Technology Council and Foley and Lardner. Now we turn over to Matt Gardner in our Northern California studios. Welcome back to the AI Podcast Series with the California Technology Council and our partners at Foley and Lardner. In this second part of our conversation with Dr. Ben Yu of UC Berkeley, we're joined by Antoinette Konsky, a partner at Foley and Lardner, as we dive more deeply into how AI is going to work on solutions to the coronavirus, as well as the implications for research into highly specialized fields and how the pandemic illustrates challenges for the industry. Before we begin, here's a quick word from our partners at Foley and Lardner. Foley and Lardner is pleased to present this AI podcast series in partnership with the California Technology Council as part of our combined efforts to help foster high-tech innovation, collaboration, and growth across the state and beyond. With a geographic reach spanning the entire country, including offices in Silicon Valley, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and San Diego, Foley and Lardner provides comprehensive legal services to both innovators and consumers of sophisticated and increasingly convergent technologies at all stages of the business life cycle and across nearly every industry sector. Drawing on our extensive experience and deep knowledge across our team of lawyers, scientists, developers, and engineers, we counsel clients on the full spectrum of corporate and transactional, intellectual property, and regulatory and policy matters, as well as provide representation in a variety of litigation and disputes. So no matter where your business plugs into the ever-evolving global market, whether your offering is underpinned by AI, the cloud, 5G, the Internet of Things, virtual reality, quantum computing, or another technology, Foley and Lardner can help keep you on the leading edge of emerging legal issues and in pursuit of growth opportunities. Visit us at Foley.com to learn more. Hi, this is George Nachetti of Morgan Stanley Wealth Management, and you're listening to the Artificial Intelligence Podcast with the California Technology Council. Thanks to the entire team at Foley and Lardner, and of course to our partners at Morgan Stanley for the excellent retirement plan member benefits at CTC. If you'd like to learn more, we invite you to check out www.californiatechnology.org slash member benefits. We hope you'll enjoy this second part of our conversation with Ben Yu from UC Berkeley. So we're joined in this series by our partners at Foley and Lardner and uh, representing them here in this panel discussion is Antoinette Konsky. Antoinette, uh, I'll throw to you for continuing the conversation with Ben Yu about AI and machine learning and data science and how it can contribute to some of the great challenges we face. Antoinette. Thank you, Matt, uh, and thank you for that kind introduction. Dr. Yu, I want to speak to uh, something that you mentioned in the first part of this um, conversation. And you mentioned in particular how AI has been applied in cancer diagnosis and in particular in um, pathology. We're in the midst of a global pandemic that has significant health and economic uh, repercussions. Has AI been applied uh, to treat, trace, or somehow get this COVID pandemic under control? I think many groups working on contact tracing. I just read in the newspaper that the Google Apple contact tracing might get some traction now. I think it was ready to be used, but so this is not particular what uh, 
my group has been working on, but I know people, other people working on, on contact tracing. And so the answer I think would be yes, even though I'm not on top of the details. My group have been using, you can show machine learning or signal processing, another aspect which is prediction. And we have been engaged with um, Response for Life. Actually, that's how we met uh, our common friend Don Landworth introduced us that uh, try to predict at the county level uh, death, daily death. And we use that to go for some severity intake for hospitals. And therefore, the organization was trying to help distribute uh, PPEs. So there is something my group has worked on since March. And you can call that machine learning or signal processing or statistics that uh, we really will have a website we podcast for the all 3,000 counties every day. And that's a little, it's kind of a little I'll call like an automated AI machine, right? So we, uh, of course, in the beginning, we curated the data about social economic status, uh, status and uh, all risk factors, and many like static variable for each county. And that's human and clean, and we'll put it there with the data repository and our website is covidseverity.com. And then this little uh, machine learning statistical AI machine will scrape the data from USC facts, US facts, and um, do some automatic cleaning and use the algorithm we run on AWS um, platform and um, just put it out there um, with automatic visualization. So that's kind of a little AI machine in the sense that it's all automated from data collection from US facts, and then do some basic cleaning, and then use our algorithm, which I call, we call collab. We combine a linear predictor with exponential predictor, which kind of reflect how fast the growth of the pandemic. And actually, what's interesting, this combination algorithm was based the same as when I was in Bell Labs 20 years ago. We combined two different audio predictors to compress audio signals for, um, uh, say, wireless uh, communication. And, uh, and the same signal processing machine learning algorithm, the combination we use exactly the same weighting to see which one's better, but the basic predictors are different for the audio and then for this pandemic. So it's, we basically made a little uh, AI uh, system. But if it, it did fail when there was an error in the uh, number of deaths. There was one particular county, I think it was a human error. It should be like 500 deaths. It was recorded as 1,500. And of course, our algorithm went wacky because it was unreal. And uh, if a human, I wish we had a human in the loop and we see that and then we can do some correction, maybe just extend from the day before. I mean, it was impossible. There was a jump of 1,000 in a year, a year day. So, but we didn't have the resource. Uh, so it's kind of every day just updates itself and put our visualization too. It's not just uh, tables, but you have the whole map with eight different metrics. So it's actually a little AI uh, machine there. But to prepare for it, human did a lot of work. Clean the static data and then set the automatic data cleaning rules for the algorithm to do the automatic cleaning. 
that was human engagement. We we had the data team did a lot of that, and uh, modeling team. I have like twelve of my students on it, especially um, my dad. Well, that sounds like quite an effort, and I thank you for that. I've actually been on the website, and it's very impressive. I want to also speak back to something that you mentioned uh, in the first part of this conversation. Um, you, you mentioned particular precision medicine and how AI being applied to biological systems is, is definitely more complex. So with respect to COVID, how can, in addition to tracking and tracing, how could AI be applied or is it being applied um, for determining which therapies are best for COVID patients or perhaps who is more at risk than another patient for a more serious COVID infection? I think definitely people are doing that. It's not something I'm uh, actively working on. I would imagine that we do need uh, human data to know the labels. I mean, this, as I said, unsupervised learning or representation learning is just do where it's kind of infancy. I don't think it can go so far. But when we accumulate enough information on different symptoms, and different than we will be able to use some genomic markers and like um, also medical record, all of that to predict who might like you to have what symptoms. But what my understanding of COVID is that it's, it's a very complex and even people with COVID can have at once read like six or seven different kinds of categories of symptoms. So that's very challenging. Um, to really know, and there's an age effect, and there's so much interaction with different organs. So to put that in the machine learning jargon, that why have many, 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 many classes, because it seems that the symptoms vary so much, that's a more challenging problem than just predicting dog versus cat, two classes. Because suppose you have actually 50 different categories of symptoms and or severity, then to predict the 50 of them, you basically need some enough number of patients in each of them. But even for each category, the more, the better. And there's a confounding factor of people's existing health and their, their now their social behavior. It just, um, it's challenging because we're still learning about what are the, how do you put the different system in the same kind of category so that you have some unifying, unified signal, right? If you put two kinds of uh, severe people in the same category, but they are driven by different mechanisms, you kind of basically make the problem harder. Suppose one type of um, people for say for a woman, I mean, we also see higher rate in men. Suppose the mechanisms for man and woman a little different. Then if you split them, then you have fewer data points. And, and if they have different sets of symptoms, then you just have very few in each category. And then the power of machine learning or statistics or data science cannot show because we're still learning from the labels. So that's the challenge. It's, it's very uh, complex and varied people's symptoms. Well, thank you. It sounds like there's, there's still a lot of work to be done, um, not only in healthcare in general, but also applying it to uh, 
treating and predicting uh, in the COVID area. More, you know, more in general, uh, Dr. Yu, with respect to data science and AI, where would you like to see the field progress to over the next five to 10 years? Well, I would like to see the field become more uh, quality controlled and standardized so that we can allow people to leverage experiences from the more experienced teams and success stories to the less experienced and, you know, beginners. And for that, my group has developed this PCS framework, predictability, computability, and stability that really unify machine learning with statistics and also goes through the whole data science life cycle to uh, have this conceptual framework for people to think about these issues, kind of really share our experience. And so that um, we can really build on each other's experience and success instead of everybody um, have to kind of figure it out on their own. And that is not very efficient as a community, as a society. But um, the number of papers are overwhelming and we have limited time. So have more quality paper sharing and this framework, I think it's really will lift the whole boat. And that's why in terms of culture and habit, we also need a kind of a good reward system. So the quality research rewarded, the quality and researchers are rewarded. There are a lot of noise that people will go for something that actually doesn't work for their case because uh, we um, people just are too optimistic. And in terms of solving research problems, I'm more in the more science domain. I really think with the combination of advanced imaging technology, we can really unlock some mysteries about the heterogeneity in cancer, and also have a go at really understand what's going on with Alzheimer's, which I think billions of dollars have been spent to develop drugs, but we're not making much progress. So those are the things I think uh, will be really exciting to be part of. And we have this biohub and neurohub in the Bay Area, and also with UW. So these are all the opportunities, but it's also integration of a lot of the um, algorithms and the hardware and also with science that Dr. Riley, I mentioned, they already have something in UCSF called Bridge. It's already have a lot of the like uh, summary statistics of patient record already can be accessed by clinicians. So, um, and also deep learning theory. Berkeley uh, just led a successful proposal to NSF and Simons on collaborations of theory with many other researchers all over uh, the country and Europe and other parts of the world. And also I hope we see some really foundational uh, understanding into deep learning, which is kind of the frontier of AI right now as an algorithm. So for maybe for our younger viewers, Dr. Yu, what advice can you give them if they have an interest uh, in studying or moving into this field? Well, one thing is I hope I, um, I'm writing a book with my uh, former student, current postdoc, Rebecca Barter. We just signed a contract with MIT Press called Veridical Data Science to Practice a Responsible Data Analysis and Decision Making. So if you want to move there, it's really practical and sharing our experience. We hope to have a free online version next, beginning of next year and the hard copy for the end of next year. And just in, the, in general, do 
prepare yourself with coding and with basic mathematics and critical thinking, communication skills, and really um, be prepared to work for it in an interdisciplinary team to contribute and to share and to learn from each other. And I think that culture is hugely important and to value your contribution and also other people's contribution and be able to communicate your insight to people who are very different from you. I think, oh, it's kind of we're asking an old spectrum uh, preparation to be in this exciting AI data science for young people. And, but you have your strengths, so you know you should team up with people who are complementary. So you don't have to know everything, but it's always good to be both broad and deep. People call like a pie, like you go down with two deep areas or a T, and then you have the breadth. I think that would be a very good. And this also growth model. You never stop learning. You can pick up things on your own, and you can judge what's good for you to spend your time on to learn. Thank you, Dr. Yu. That seems like very good advice, not only for uh, starting a career in AI, but just in life in general. I'm going to hand it back to Matt now. Thank you so much. Thank you. Nice speaking to you. Thanks, Matt. Just one question. You mentioned that one of the keys, obviously, to these hubs is the presence of the life science, the software, and the hardware. We've a long time about this. It like being in Florence during the Renaissance with the confluence of all these factors. Do you see other parallels in history where all these things have come together in such a unique way as being in Northern California at a time like this? I mean, in terms of science, I think science actually started with very much integrated and we got specialized, so we're coming back. I think the Renaissance, I felt like as a team, we're becoming all Renaissance people as a team. Yeah. So I think actually science was never really separated until later, right? In the beginning, you look at Da Vinci, he was everything. And you look at Gauss, he was almost, well, you know, how many, 20 fields he was in. So... Uh, it's actually, I think we're returning to that phase, but as a group, I'll call a team brain, right? We cannot do it one person. The specialization happened because we, one person is too much for one person to handle. But with all the digital aid and communication that we can form a team brain much more easily than before. I mean, just, I was working with this uh, BioHub project and tried to learn something about a particular HCM, it's a particular heart um, disease, then I could get so much out by just reading on the internet, get on YouTube. I learned from my um, cardiologist you know, collaborators, but they have limited time. But wouldn't it be possible even 20 years ago, I would have to go to a medical library, would not be possible, right? Now I can just sit in my home and learn this basic medical analysis and, and uh, knowledge, which is, and YouTube videos are great to learn some basic science and medicine. So I think technology is a big part of why we can form our call the team brain, which is much bigger than the sum, than the parts. So this conversation has been a return to the Renaissance with Dr. Bin Yu of UC Berkeley. Thank you, Dr. Yu, for your time today. Thank you for having me. As always, thank you once again to Dr. Bin Yu of UC Berkeley and to Antoinette Konsky and the team at Foley and Lardner for joining us for this very special episode in the AI series. 
We'll have another episode soon in the AI series, so please stay tuned for updates and be sure to subscribe to CTC's podcasts on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen. Our calendar's once again full for 2021. We invite you to take a look at everything on offer at californiatechnology.org slash events. If you're not yet a member, we invite you to engage with us at californiatechnology.org slash membership overview. Get to know us and join us for one of our upcoming events or webinars. If you've got an idea for a podcast, please let us know at podcast at californiatechnology.org. Again, this is Matt Gardner with the California Technology Council. Thanks very much for listening. We'll look forward to speaking with you next time.